Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of all the screamers out there taking all the oxygen out of the room and you want to join us and taking some of that space back, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and so grateful to have a place to talk about faith and politics and big ideas in our culture with all kinds of interesting, accomplished folks of goodwill in good faith. If you're listening for the first time, thank you. Welcome. And if you dig what we're doing here, hit the subscribe button. If you've been listening for a while, perhaps leave a review if you haven't already or tell a friend about us. That's the number one way we can grow and include others in these important conversations. Just telling telling friends, say, hey, listen to that crazy show, www.politicsandreligion.us. And today is a special day. We're doing something a little different. I've invited a couple of my favorite podcast pals, two people I really admire and respect, but don't tell them that. I don't want to get a big head about that. Um, but no, seriously, I really admire both of these folks um, and, and love what they're doing. They also happen to be in the same general space that we're in here on TPNR in terms of content and tone. I've invited Lori Adams Brown and Will Wright to discuss the results of the recent election, discuss maybe what some of the things that we got right, what we got wrong, uh, draw some takeaways from the results and to start to look ahead at the coming legislative session and beyond. But before we get into it, let me just give you a little bit of background on Lori and Will. They've both been on the program before. Will, I think this is actually, is it your third time? You co-hosted when when uh, Lisa Sharon Harper was on, right? That's right. I've got two more before I get my jacket. There you go. There you go. I think you and Mike Madrid are like my, uh, you, you have a hat trick. So um, this is a, a great honor. It's, it's also cool to hang out with Lori again. I've been on Lori's program. She's um, Lori's been here. So um, Lori Adams Brown is a combination of international speaker, business executive, podcaster, and relief and development ex- expert. She hosts the popular podcast, A World of Difference, celebrating humanity's unique differences and encouraging us all to make a difference around the world. Since growing up in international schools in Costa Rica and Venezuela, Lori has spent her career working in Indonesia, Singapore, and the San Francisco Bay Area. She worked in disaster relief in the 2004 Indonesian tsunami, where she consulted with the UN coordination efforts, and she's spoken to audiences in Singapore, Indonesia, um, I don't even know how to say that properly. Brunei. Brunei, Brunei. thank you. Mm -hmm. Brunei, (laughs) Thailand, Malaysia, Venezuela, and around the U.S., Lori speaks six languages, well, seventh, if you include uh, whatever language I'm speaking right now, (laughs) and serves on the Board of Justice Revival and volunteers to help resettle Afghan refugees in the San Francisco Bay Area. Will Wright has been interested in politics his whole life. He elected not to run for any office because in the third grade, his teacher told him that black people could never be president. True story. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, But in 2001, after the World Trade Center towers collapsed, Will felt the need to do something, so he enlisted in the U.S. Army as an infantryman. His unit was one of the initial pushes into the streets of Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. 
And after leaving the service, Will traveled the world as a consultant, which is where he really experienced how the world works and got the idea to start a podcast that centers around faith and politics. His political leanings tend to favor Democratic policies, but he's voted for Democrats, Libertarians, and Republicans. He wishes that problems could be fixed by civil dialogue and hopes his podcast, which is called Faithful Politics, can exemplify what that conversation can look like in the world. Will, Lori, thanks for hanging out with me today. How are, we, how are you both doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's a nice sunny day here in Silicon Valley. Blue skies. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of Silicon Valley, uh, isn't the world going to end like somebody's going to pull the plug or something? What's going on up there? I don't know. Is it Twitter blue skies? We're not sure what the blue represents. Is it blue for the political party? I really don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Last night. Yeah. 5 p.m. 5 p.m. Last night was when uh, Elon Musk uh, closed the doors of Twitter up in San Francisco. And it's kind of all the buzz around here. What's going to happen with Twitter? But yeah. What do you think, Will? What's happening with Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's one, it's one of those like things where if it does go down, I'm probably not gonna, you know, I don't know, lose my, you know, what crap over it. I, I don't want to say the S word. I, I didn't know if it was a family. No, say family. it, say it. I, come on. <laughs> I don't want to lose my shit over this, you know? Early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 uh, you know, I, I'll probably, I, I would only have to, Thank Elon because he's going to give me so many more hours of my life back. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty indifferent about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I just had a very crass thought, um, but I will say that my legs fall asleep at certain times. I'm not going to say why when I'm on Twitter because I just realized time has gone by and I'm still where I am. And uh, you know, I, I won't even go into it why my legs go to sleep, but you can use your imagination. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, one thing I will say is that if Twitter does go down, um, people can find me on Craigslist. I have a faithful politics <laughs> Craigslist posting. It's true. <laughs> Very creative. Yeah. I'm on MySpace. I can't, you can find me on my, no, actually I've discovered Mastodon and I'm, I'm um, still, it's like still kind of clunky. I'm still learning it, but it looks kind of cool. It looks like a brighter, you know, sunnier, less, you know, whatever. Uh, but at a, anyway, I'm checking it out. We'll see what happens with Twitter. I don't think it's going to be the end of the world by any stretch, but you know. No, but Facebook isn't doing a whole lot better, is it? So whichever yeah. blue we're looking at, it's just uh, things aren't yeah. looking good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, so we're here to talk about some politics, the midterms. So I was curious to start over the course of 2022. Can you track with what your expectations were for the recent you know, for, for the recent election, like, what did you think might happen say in January of 22 versus June of 2022 versus, you know, mid to late October of 2022, how was your expectations being shaped over the course of the year? I think typically whatever party is in the white house, like whoever's president midterms usually mean the other party is who kind of gains more. And so I think if history was repeating itself, that's sort of what we expect. But January, you know, we we were experiencing the January before kind of in the anniversary of that and knowing, gosh, it's hard to predict what might happen based on January 6th, the year before. So it was really hard to know. And, you know, my experience of being an American overseas most of my life, um, we often understand Americans have a very short attention span. So you always kind of think what's going to happen right before midterms, it's really going to make the big difference. And um, so in the summer, it was hard to say in June, but certainly when 
um, here in San Francisco in the Bay Area where I live when Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked in his home. That definitely shifted what's going to happen because, you know, there were quite a few Republicans who didn't respond in ways I would hope they would have um, as humans and as Americans. And I'm pretty sure that was a factor in what people saw immediately before the midterms. Also, the, the factor of Roe Ro being overturned, I think, was a huge one. Anyway, what did you think, Will? Yeah, you know, it's it's weird to sort of like pontificate on like what's going to happen, because depending on kind of your your party alliance or allegiance, you tend to sort of like like there's that that little fish that feeds on whales or sharks. You know, I forgot what they're called, but it's like, you know, as political, po politically minded people, we tend to just latch on to what the party's you know, feelings are about the election. So I think the Republicans really thought that, you know, they're going to have like this, this red tsunami, this red wave, you know, but there was, I mean, there was no red wave, especially on Cary Lake. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> a bad one, actually. <laughs> trying, trying out my new material, you know. I just caught it. <laughs> so so with, 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 with Democrats, like, you know, I, I think Democrats actually did a pretty good job of tapering expectations. Um, and I think that the fact it, it was a it was a perfect combination of really bad candidates being pushed out by Trump and the country, you know, sort of trying to come to terms with, you know, the Dobbs decision and and abortion. And I think that was sort of like the little sleeper cell that really kind of threw things off because, you know, whether you're looking at 538 polls or one of the other ones, like, you know, I think that there was some indication that Democrats could lose both houses, but they didn't, you know, they managed to keep the Senate um, and hopefully they can get a majority uh, when the runoffs happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, as a Democrat, I I, I feel pretty good about it. I wish we we would have kept that house, but you know, now that we didn't, we're just going to have like two more years of Benghazi, um, you know, investigation. So you know, <laughs> right. looking forward to it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you brought up um, the attack on uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband. I hadn't necessarily tied that together with one of my big takeaways that we'll talk about in a little bit here, but I realized. I think that that ties into what was more of a factor than a lot of folks were considering. And it's something that Mike Madrid was talking about a lot. It's that voters don't tend to vote for things so much as they vote against things. Mm. So a lot of a lot of pundits were assessing that there would be a preponderance of voters that were voting against high tax um, gas prices you know, against uh, the Biden agenda, uh, maybe still reacting to what happened over a year ago now with uh, the uh, exiting Afghanistan. I wasn't necessarily buying that uh, because my main focus since January 6th has has been just that since January 6th, 2021, is tracking with my particular uh, congressman's voting record and his what he's been saying publicly. Uh, I was watching... Um, uh, Bill Crystal's organization started this GOP democracy report card and just saying, look, I don't care what your foreign policy is. I don't care what your immigration policy is. I don't care what your fiscal policy is if we can't agree on democracy itself. So I thought that that was much more of and maybe I was I was I kept on checking myself like, is that just me? 
is, is no one else paying attention to this? Is it really gas prices over and above, you know, our democratic institutions? I will say though that all along I was a skeptic about the historical data point that a president's first midterm election um, has. Ha, there's a, plenty of historic precedent for it going very much against them, but. As an old stock operator, I looked at that as, as what's called one technical data point. It was just a number. And especially if that number had exceptions, which it did as recently as 2002, as well as 1962 and, and uh, 1930, uh, so it would have been 1934, excuse me, 1934, okay. um, that uh, there were exceptions to that rule. And then wow. additionally, Additionally, I was looking at the fundamentals, like what was actually happening um, it, it, around the rest of the country, what was going on issues wise, were the fundamentals supporting the technical data point, or were the fundamentals at odds with that technical data point? And I thought the January 6th, very much like 9-11, was one major historical fundamental thing that happened that would create a tension with what ha what's happened historically. So I wasn't a big believer in that. Um, and then we started to see how this thing started to shape up. Um, number one, uh, when folks who were pulling for not just Democrats, but pro-democracy candidates, they were saying, well, what's why is this uh, 2022 going to be really, really bad for Democrats? One of the first things that people talked about were um, was redistrict redistricting. Mm. And when that finally happened, it was essentially Dave Wasserman for uh, the Cook Political Report basically said, hey, it's a wash because you know, in, in the 2010 cycle, uh, the Repu most Republican, it was um, a lot of Republican state legislatures that, um, uh, or, or, you know, the governing boards that were controlling redistricting on a state by state basis, they maxed out their redistricting, you know, their, uh, what is it called? Um, the, uh, what is it called when they, when they uh, gerrymander, the gerrymandering, <laughs> they maxed out their gerrymandering opportunities. So it basically turned out to be a wash. Um, so that was that was one big thing. I did think once we got past Afghanistan that and and Biden's poll numbers took a, a big hit. I did think that that was significant and that it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be good in the Democrats' favor. But then as the year started to uh, you know uh, progress, twenty twenty two started to progress, and there were other signs in the economy. You know, unemployment uh, kept on coming down. Inflation was bad, but then inflation started to ease by the summer. We started to see that in the gas prices over the summer. And then like, um, I think, uh, Will, I, did you say it or Lori, did you mention the Dobbs decision? Yeah. Once the Do Dobbs decision was official, um, I, I saw in a certain part of the electorate uh, an enthusiasm, a passion that I hadn't seen since early 2017 since the me too movement basically i saw a lot yeah. of similarities there but specifically what i where i was seeing it was in a key part of the electorate uh, and yeah. that is suburban college educated women mm. you know so what moves the election aren't the folks that are that are the extremists the folks who just vote d all the time or r all the time what right. moves it are certain parts of the electorate Mike Madrid was talking about the Democrats losing some uh, Latino voters and leaking yeah. parts, uh, significant segments of the Latino vote. So if if any particular Democratic candidate um, could stop the leaking, you know, could could stop that in terms of Latino votes, but also sway and persuade um, college educated suburban women 
then that would move the needle a little bit. So those were my kind of evolving expectations of the election. But sorry, I I feel like I've uh, monopolized this section more than I (laughs) I should have. No. Uh, Well, you know, one thing I'll I'll say, though, Corey, is that the things that you pointed out are are pretty important things. And I think that whether whether the electorate knows it or not, I think the electorate votes with their amygdala. Um, yes. And like we tend to. Is remember- that the lizard brain? Is that the lizard? <laughs> it, it's 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 the one like when things are going really crappy. OK. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so so like people remember January 6th because yeah. like I mean, it, it, like you said, it's like 9-11 or the Challenger blowing up or however old you are mm-hmm. and the big thing that happened, you know, like there is a the connection um, that, you know, makes us remember that and 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 assign blame and i think even with like the dobbs decision like for a lot of people they're just like no like no <laughs> you know like uh so so i i i always tend to 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 be you know cognizant of like what are the things that are stimulating people's amygdala and that's the thing people are going to vote for or against um in the election yeah yeah that's a good point well, yeah that's why fear motivates right i mean i i studied this in sociology back in my undergrad if you can f- give people a fear, whether it's in marketing or politics or religion, or in the case of this podcast, both religion and <laughs> politics, wow, you get votes. Like it's just the age old tale of how our amygdalas work. And so it's like, are you afraid of people murdering babies? Well, then let's vote that way. But Dobbs got overturned. So if now that's resolved for, the white evangelicals who were voting that way, supposedly this one issue voter kind of community, it's like, okay, that's done. So now what's your next thing? Yeah. And it was kind of a wild card as to what that would be. You know, are they going to vote based more on immigration? But that wasn't really front and center during the midterms. Um, so that's why I think maybe even the Pelosi situation was something to be afraid of. Wait, they can come in our homes and attack our spouses. Like, and then when it happens, they can blame them somehow. Like it's their fault because of their politics. Like, whoa, 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 what, what in the world is happening here? So <laughs> yeah. for some of the swing voters, it may have been a factor. I don't know that we have the data to show it yet, but anecdotally, there's some indication it may have been a factor. Well, there are um, certain pieces of data. Uh, I mentioned Madrid, uh, Mike Madrid earlier. He was saying the standard, which, which, which uh, would you vote for a Democrat or a Republican? Um, it, for for your house district, that's a generic um, poll, and it's not very useful. He said also uh, too much emphasis was being placed on Biden's uh, approval numbers. What was underappreciated was this poll that was being taken. Which party do you find more extreme? And by far, the Republicans were found to be more extreme. So tying into that point about people vote against things, people vote for, you know, um, against what they're afraid of, that incident, and specifically how many Republicans uh, responded to uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband being attacked, that was reinforcing, oh my, these guys are nuts, you know? <laughs> so, so like posting a Twitter thing with a hammer and underwear, what are you talking about? This guy was brutally attacked. You know, yeah. where's your humanity, for goodness sake? So mm-hmm. I do think that if nothing else, it was reinforcing a fear of of the extremities that um, many in the Republican Party have gone. Um, was Were there any particular races that you were tracking with leading up to the election, uh, like sp- specific races that you were following more closely? 
Will? Um, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have both of the Congress people running in my district. So I'm in, I'm in Virginia and I'm in the seventh district. Um, so Donald McEachin is the Democrat. He's the incumbent. And then Leon Benjamin was the very Trumpian contender. He was even like part of sort of Trump's like, I don't know, like faith council or something like that. And he was endorsed by Michael Flynn. So he was a lot of fun to talk to, you know, like, so I was watching that one, but I, I, I wasn't too concerned. I, I think even though like I live, so the, the, the state district I live in is the same state district as Amanda Chase. And if you don't know who she is, like she calls herself Trump in heels. Um, so that should tell you everything you need to know. Wow. Like this is my, <laughs> that's kind of a weird picture. <laughs> yeah, it is very weird. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I didn't have it until you just said that. It's like trans trans awareness week. Hopefully that's not what we're trying to go with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so I was watching, you know, my my own local race because I'm I'm just I I just did not want to have a Trumpian candidate, although, you know, my conversation with them was 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 cordial. You know, I mean, I bit my tongue a lot. Um, But um, the other race I was following here was um, the Yesley Vega and the Abigail Spanberger um, race. And there's kind of an interesting note there is that so uh, Spanberger is the incumbent. Um, She's up in the uh, gosh, I want to say it's Virginia, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second congressional district. And and, and I and I and I made a mistake. I'm in the fourth district god it's too late it's fourth or seventh you know don't 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 fact check me uh, but 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 the the, the abigail spanberger race was was interesting because she she's a democrat but she's pretty moderate um and yes lee vega her um opponent um isn't 100 percent trumpy but like just trumpy adjacent and spanberger spanberger was able to to hold her seat. And actually, and, and here, here's the funny thing is that for a person that that likes to consider himself pretty politically informed, like um, we try to get Abigail Spanberger on the show um, because I had thought she was the representative for my co-host, uh, Pastor Josh. And she would have been because this was the first this was the first election after redistricting redistricting occurred. So she had always been his like representative. And even on if you go to like to congress.gov and look her up and you put in your zip code, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Josh, you're you're in Spanberger's you know, district. And it wasn't until like voting day that Josh calls me. And he's like, yeah, there was some other guy on there named Whitman. You know, like, I don't even know who this guy is. You know, And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> and then and then uh, went on to the Virginia website to realize, oh, so he's in a completely different district now. And I didn't know that. I mean, I, I don't typically tend to follow his representatives, but, you know, he had asked me, hey, who should I vote for? You know, and I'm a Democrat and he's a Republican. So I was like, yeah, you should vote for Spanberger. She's a Republican, you know, <laughs> um, but um. But yeah, so I, I I can't help but think how much redistricting played a role in people's vote. People just going to the polls on voting day and be like, huh? Like, Who's this? Yeah. Like, All right, I guess I'll vote for this person, you know? Right, um, right. So yeah, really interesting. Uh, so just technicality, um, uh, Abigail Spanberger is Virginia 7. Oh, okay. So I had it backwards. Okay. Yeah. So I'm in the fourth. She's in the seventh. Right, right, right. What about you, Lori? Was there were there yeah. any particular races? You know, here in California, some things are are pretty predictable. Even though we have exciting politics, we're a very large state. I really was more looking at other places like Georgia. Like to be honest, still still up for grabs, right? But I mean, <laughs> it's just on when I vote, 
I think of character and I think of morality and I, I have international politics in mind, but I also want to know who that person is in their everyday life and are they congruent and that's hard to do in politics, I know, but I don't know Herschel Walker was just like a very huge surprise in terms of how close it's it is, especially being a Republican supposedly pro life candidate, you know, I mean he the stories about him forcing women to have abortions. One woman who drove because he said, go have an abortion. She went and couldn't do it. And then he's like, I'll take you. It's very, I, I find it troubling, the lack of consent in his relationships. Now, I, I understand I've, I've seen the movie Concussion. I have serious concerns around maybe what happened in his athletic career and things like that. And so there is a level of like uh, sadness, but do I want him in our Senate? No, I don't. And I find it very ironic that pro-life Republicans are voting for him. But then again, I'm an ever Trumper. <laughs> so um, not not a recent Humpty Dumpty, not never not Trump, but like never Trumper from the beginning. And so um, I've, I've always found it inconsistent that he was a pro-life candidate when he has had so many women and we don't know his history around abortion, honestly, except that he used to be pro-choice and then flipped. It seems as though from my perspective, maybe to get the votes of the white evangelicals, I don't know. And, and obviously if you've seen the horrible documentary, God forbid about um, Liberty University or listen to gangster capitalism podcast, you recognize even with Trump, there was a lot of, um, we're talking politics and religion here, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the fact that Jerry Falwell Jr. could actually help Trump win the presidency by endorsing him at the largest Christian university in the world and be living such an immoral lifestyle with the pool boy and all that going on. And, you know, I also follow um, on Twitter, hopefully it'll <laughs> stay around many of the survivors of sexual assault on Liberty University's campus. So there's just a lot of immorality in politics it always has been but because we have abilities to know more about people a, a candidate like herschel walker i have serious concerns and i find it very incongruent for people who are pro-life to vote for him i yeah. I, have, I have a question because uh um since you brought up god forbid and and fyi like i interviewed the director of that movie um for this week's podcast actually oh, really I'll check it out yeah really <laughs> really uh really cool guy and uh and faithful you know, politics, folks, faithful politics. That's right. <laughs> and and it is it is a phenomenal like documentary. If you haven't seen it, um, it's on Hulu. And, um, you know, one of the things I told him about about his documentary, why I think it's resonating so much with sort of like the evangelical political class is that there aren't a lot of documentaries that sort of tie like evangelical support to like Republicans or Trump um in general. And, and I think it's probably one of the only ones that I've seen um, that does it really, really well and kind of tells a good story. But after, after the interview, one of the, one of the questions that, that kept coming back um, to me is like how, okay. If, if the Falwells and Liberty played such a humongous role at garnering, you know, sort of the white evangelical vote, but now Falwell's out of the picture. And I'm yes. fairly certain that Liberty's not going to want to like invite Trump back, you know? So, yeah. so like what I, I'm curious to get both your thoughts on like, like how do they get that support when the world's largest Christian organization is no longer like promoting, you know, these Republicans? What do you guys think? 
It could go so many different ways. I mean, you know, we're seeing people who did support Trump all of a sudden now that this midterm went a different way, people he was supporting now they're suddenly like pulling back. Uh, even SNL's skit on Saturday night was like about how like on Fox and Friends are like, Trump, don't make any announcement. Please don't call in. Just stay at your daughter's <laughs> wedding. Like, what? no, you know, everybody's afraid he's going to announce he's running for president because people are kind of pulling back from him. Now he's not considered the winner anymore, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I think there's a lot that's unpredictable around this. Things can change on a dime in American politics. And however the news cycle goes might be a factor. I don't know. What do you think, Corey? So we're speaking of a couple of intertwined, braided um, institutions, if you will. One is the Republican Party and one is the church. And I think that we do see the early signs of other institutions rejecting Trump. You know, I, I, I thought like a major sort of troll was, was it the Wall Street Journal or, or was it one of other um, Murdoch's other papers that put it on like the 26th page Florida man announces for president? <laughs> like they, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. They, they didn't put it on the on the front page, let alone the second, third or fourth. It was literally the 26th bottom half Florida man announces for president. So you see some rejection of Trump. Uh, you see a lot of, you know, folks who up until last Tuesday were really hanging on to that uh, to that titanic and playing playing in the little mini orchestra while it was sinking but there's something else there's this uh persistent disposition that i think is really at at the heart of a disease in particular in the church and that is the true north is defined by the enemy by the supposed enemy yeah. it's this delusion that everything else sort of um configures around and this imagined, imagined enemy is the left or the never Trumpers or the rhinos or the whatevers, you know, and I started recognizing, I recognize it maybe because I was an outsider coming into the church at a relatively later age, but I recognized it in the early 2000s. I recognized it in the mid 2000s when my kids started going to a Christian school and I got a, a Christian education schools newsletter that started out with the left wants you to, the left is trying to, and I'm like, wow. am I reading like bullet points from whoever, Sean Hannity's program or Rush Limbaugh's <laughs> program, or am you I reading were. my kid's school newspaper, like a newsletter or something? So I, I think that a lot can be justified uh, or, or a lot of uh, augmentations of thought and theology have bent around this defining principle of hating the left and this fear of the left and this this idea of being an aggrieved minority so that's that's one thing so until the church reckons with that defining principle i i just think we're going to see another the same disease maybe with a few different symptoms or a few different you know leaders or or preferred folks that were rooting, the church is rooting for you know in the republican party I think it's some, there's something uh, similar. Um, I, I think that the GOP is not going to be the GOP unless it has a huge reckoning with the fact that um, the crazies have have taken over the the whole the whole party. You yeah. know, it used to be a, a healthy fight, a healthy debate between some extremists, the John Birch Society, um, yeah. and and some principled conservatives, some folks who, for philosophical principled reasons, felt that. Um, 
oversimplifying, but smaller government, um, mm -hmm. you know, having a strong presence overseas, whether you agree with that stuff or not, it was coming from a well thought through set of ideas. Yeah. Um, but they've they've lost the argument. Um, they are now seen as part of the enemy, if not an even worse enemy than the Democrats. So until some of these fundamental things are reckoned with, I just I, I think it's going to be the, the other big factor is that I mentioned that Fox News and, and Murdoch's other, um, you know, the newspapers and what have you are you're starting to see a, a rejection of Trump. There's something related there where Christians will sooner rid themselves of their scripturally based principles in deference to, well, we got an enemy to fight. So, you know, this Trump guy, he's <laughs> fighting for us. And, you know, they'll do away with all sense of the fruit of the spirit because it's in service of fighting the supposed enemy. Um, media entities uh, will dispense with the principles of good journalism if it's in service of fighting that same enemy. So yes. I think regardless of whether Fox News decides that Trump's their boy or not, um, uh, until there's a commitment to shared values of what good journalism is, yeah, you know, um, and we can argue about whose preference, you know, uh, Rachel Maddow and, you know, she's so this, she's so that, but, you know, we understand that she's commentary and, and there's a certain commitment to um, having consistency and truth there. Um, you know, so I'm not a fan of Rachel Maddow. I'm just saying that you can't necessarily make a direct comparison between her and what Tucker Carlson is doing on a nightly basis. There's no commitment to any truth there. Yeah. Um, so the, the documentary documentarian that you're referring to, um, I haven't seen the documentary, but I'm guessing that, you know, you, you can't even put him and someone like Dinesh D'Souza in the same breath, which I just did, I guess. But like, <laughs> you know, um, but because D D'Souza has an objective and that objective is to vilify, uh, mischaracterize, um, raise heat and frankly, make make a, a ton of money. Uh, so um, that his objective is not to explore some difficult truth. His objective is to just. To, to get attention so that he can sell more, more stuff and make more money. So anyway, I think the bottom line is again, a long way around the barn. Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> a long way around the barn of saying there are these underlying problems that even if Fox news rejects Trump going forward, we got to address, or the church yeah. starts to adopt somebody else, whether it's DeSantis or somebody else, there are these underlying problems that unless they are reckoned with, yeah. we ain't nothing else is changing. So. Yeah, the system's broken. And if you don't address the system, the next guy may not be exactly like Trump, but will look a lot like there will be some similar elements that that system wants to have. So, you know, my friend, Dr. Kristen Kobes Dumay and her yeah. book, Jesus and John Wayne. I mean, that was um, it's a book for the ages, right? She has documented very well. Trump was what white evangelicals wanted. Yeah. And if that's what white evangelicals wanted, even though they're dumping Trump, they still want it's like the mega church pastor that gets you know fired for abuse but the system is the same and they get another one that's similar or it's like a nation that has you know issues and the, their politics and their government and they get rid of that dictator and then the next person is the same you have to change the system or you're going to get the same over and over again and that's like insanity yeah <laughs> so. Yeah, it's yeah. so frustrating. I know what you're talking about. I'm just still tra tracking with uh, what's going down in our County. Called, I called a Kristen Dumay a superwoman when I interviewed her because um, awesome. I told her that her book was like really, really life changing. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I've been. I, I can't say enough good things about that book. Uh, it's a it's a much easier book for me to push to like get people to read versus like. So we interviewed this other lady named Anthea Butler, Doctor Doctor Butler, um, and uh, her book White Evangelical Racism is a much harder book to push to your white evangelical friends. Surprisingly. <laughs> wow, shocking. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, okay. So uh I can't believe how like I have so many more, and we're but we're just diving so deep into each of these questions. So <laughs> let, let me just bring it back to politics. Going back to the big picture, what what did you learn about where the electorate is at? Like, do you have any big takeaways about the meaning of the results as we know them so far? Um, yeah, I guess I'll I'll go first. Um, yeah, so we learned Trump's endorsements don't really mean much. So if you follow him on Truth Social, I apologize. Um, but <laughs> you do, so we don't have to. <laughs> Thanks, Will. You take him over the team. <laughs> but um, you know, he's sort of touting like this really, really awesome record, which I mean, to some degree, like his endorsements, um, so 80, like 80, about 86% of his endorsements make it kind of to the next phase. Now, so, and, and that's significant, but where it really matters is, is in the battleground elections. Um, so, you know, him endorsing a Republican in a district that like historically leans Republican isn't necessarily like, you know, magic or anything like that. Um, where it really matters is like in those battleground states and those battleground states, he has a, he has a success rate of about 38%. So, I mean, that Wait, 38% kind of tells- in the general or 38% in the primary, 38% in the general. Okay. That makes sense. So, so that really kind of tells a story of like, okay, when, when people are looking at their ballots on actual like general election day and they're looking at, Ooh, you know, election denier or, Democrat, people are choosing the Democrat or the election denier, um, you know, regardless if they believe in their policies or not. And I and I think that really kind of sends a strong message to folks like Fox or to folks like, you know, National Review wrote a, a really interesting article about Trump's announcement recently that's just titled No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Trump is already like, you know, truthing about it today. Um, so, so I think that you know, folks and in, in the on the Republican side of the of the House are are looking like, whoa, you know, like his endorsements are actually doing us harm. Like it's not even 50-50, It's like thirty percent. I mean, that's like a F plus plus, you know. So, so I I think that that gives me a little bit of hope that the electorate is smarter than I think we give it credit for, and that um, when the whatever the fit hits the shan. Um, then, Say it, you know, shit, 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 shit. Corey's forcing you to curse again. <laughs> yes. Then, 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 then people really want to 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 have like a working democracy. We want to be able to go. We want to go to another country and not be ridiculed like we were when Trump was in office. I mean, like Amen. I'm, I, I, I consider myself fairly worldly travel. I mean, I met my wife in South Korea. You know, like so. I know just traveling. Americans have a certain level of, I don't want to say prestige, but just, just people just, Oh, you're American, you know, like, like that there's a certain sort of curiosity about it. And I didn't travel internationally when Trump was president, thank goodness. Um, but, but friends of mine that did are just like, yeah, they kind of look at you like with a stink eye, you know, like, Oh, you're one of those Americans, you know? Um, so, so I, 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 really think that the electorate is wise, you know, and for the lack of a better word, they're, they're much more woke 
<laughs> than than Republicans think. Mm, interesting. I echo that. I um, I was glad. I was relieved as someone who I was living in Singapore in 2016 when we were choosing between well, unless you voted third party or independent. You know, if you were voting along the U.S. typical you know two party system, um, your choices were Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, and I voted for Hillary Clinton at the U.S. Embassy in Singapore, not because I was against Trump, but because I I wanted her. And um, yeah, it was all the things, as you can imagine. But what it also especially was over the next couple of years of living there was anytime I ran into a new person, especially in the more Muslim area of Singapore, um, which I often went to, the Malay market, food's good, the people are friendly, and just chit chat with shop owners. And they would find out, you know, I speak Malay, but obviously I'm not Malay. And so it's like, oh, where are you from? And I'd be like, America. And almost every time they would say Trump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I began to realize what they're asking is, do you hate me as a Muslim? Like Mm -hmm. that was the reading the air that Asians often do in Asian languages. And I, I just began to always say, look, I didn't vote for him, but even um, among those who did, we don't all hate you. I certainly don't hate you. I love you. I've learned your language. I love your culture. I love your food. (laughs) But that's the thing we carried as Americans, taxi drivers, not just in Singapore, but all around Southeast Asia. When they found out I was American, almost always, especially Muslims in Southeast Asia would want to know. You're like Sadiqi, Sadiqi. (laughs) Friends. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, right? Because the U.S. is a democracy. And so they know we vote for these presidents. And so the assumption is if you got this guy who's saying awful things about our country, our people, you know, obviously being from the military, you understand that even the wars we go into, they assume all Americans support that particular war. And so it can be hard overseas. There is a prestige as an American, but there's also a fear and a lack of respect in some ways. And I think that we saw that really tank in the Trump years, the respect for Americans. And that's been the case politically, right? The unilateral decisions he was making, the climate change decisions that were affecting so many nations. And we did lose a lot of respect, um, even during COVID with other countries around how that was handled. So Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have me, you both have me thinking that a lot of Republican candidates fell into one of two buckets. One bucket would be the attempt to mimic the anti-virtues of Trump, the the you know the brazenness, the 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 greed, the pridefulness, the malice, uh, and, and all of these other things. We can go through the fruit of the spirit as Christians and say, "Wow, <laughs> like he's the exact opposite." And there were so yep. many. Candidates who are (laughs) embracing every one of those anti-virtues. So certain candidates fell into that and tried to do their own version of it. And then a lot of other Republicans fell into the problem of cowardice, that Mm. they could not find their own voice and say, no, I believe in these things in terms of classical conservatism, but I do not believe in in these anti-virtues. So it was either trying to be a little Trumps or or just being complete cowards and and you're voting exactly like my my own representative, Mike Garcia, voting exactly like Kevin McCarthy wanted him to, frankly, voting exactly like people who tried to overturn the election. Insurrectionists wanted him to. Wow. Uh, it, it's a it's a unique form of cowardice. So big takeaways from the election. It started early on. Uh, you mentioned Georgia, Lori, and I was encouraged to see that Kemp and Raffensperger and other 
um, I wouldn't call them anti-Trump, but they stood, they were the bulwarks for democracy in Georgia. They were Republicans who bucked what Trump wanted them to do, and they were the bulwarks for democracy. They were pro-democracy Republicans. I was, I was really encouraged to see them win in their primaries and then win decisively in the generals as non-Trump Republicans. Um, I was encouraged to see governors like Sununu in New Hampshire and DeWine in, in right. Ohio had much, much, much better nights than pro-Trump Republicans, especially like a, a Trump wannabe Republican like Kerry Lake in Arizona. Oh, my goodness. You know? So mm -hmm. I, it was the first time that I was watching other states AG and, and, and secretary of state races and like this person is still denying the election and they could overturn the election in Arizona in particular, a, a yeah. swing state. So. I was really, really encouraged to see uh, the – once we got past the – there were a few key primary races where anti-Trump Republicans won their primaries. But mostly, to your point, Will, 80% uh, of, of pro-Trump Republicans won in their primaries. A lot of them were rejected in the generals. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Republicans are sending wolves and vampires – and and fake um cops yeah <laughs> so so i don't know if you heard uh you know herschel walker's last oh, uh, oh my god <laughs> i i was I, I could i had to turn it off after a while like where, where's this going yeah what is he even saying <laughs> right? what are we talking about like have you even seen twilight i mean really <laughs> Like, Crazy. come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. You know, what, what, one thing I, I will say about, about this, um, this most recent election that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is that so Democrats had about 14 um, Senate seats on the line. Some were, were, you know, easier to win than, than others. And they, the Republicans had a lot more Senate seats um, up for grabs. Um, now, in six years from now, the two Republican are yeah, two the map's not in Democrats' favor in 2024 in, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And and there's there's like uh so in the what what they call like the class one senators, um, there's like twenty-two-ish um seats up for grabs, which as a Democrat makes me a little nervous. Um, because you know, I, I'm I'm just thinking, uh, you know, whoever the next president is, and I'm hoping it's a Democrat, you know, like at least they'll they'll have their their Senate. So my 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 bit of you know optimism is that the Republicans are going to spend the next two years, um, you know, investigating Hunter Biden and Merrick Garland. Oh, and, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And trying to trying to like elect the first uh, black uh, female president by impeaching yep. Biden, you know. Which I'm okay with. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm part of the progressive party, right? So it's like, hey, how, however we can get it, we'll get it. Yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, so go, just go, a quick a quick response to that, Will. Uh, a look ahead. I do think the math and the the map is not in Democrats' favor in the Senate for 2024. But mm -hmm. that's why 2022 is so significant that the Democrats held fifth, at least 50, maybe 51. Um, I believe that Georgia is going again in, in Warnock's favor. Uh, so it'll be 51. They So a pickup of one. That's why it was significant. Because if if it was truly a red wave, and let's say it was 52 or 53 seats in Republicans' favor, there's a there's a decent chance, not a likelihood necessarily, but a decent chance that 2024, because the map is so bad for Democrats, would have been 60, uh, a, a, a filibuster-proof majority for Republicans in um, in 2024. So that wow. that would have been um, 
interesting to track, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. Um, but looking ahead at just the next legislative session, there are a couple of announcements that happened almost simultaneously. Uh, one was the presser that representatives Jim Jordan and James Comer held. Uh, they're the presumptive heads of the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees, respectively. But we'll get to that in a second. Another announcement was from Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But Lori, why don't you take that? <sighs> I'm just going to say the obvious. I'm a woman. <laughs> And as a woman to hear Pelosi's speech yesterday, it just meant a lot. There was a historical moment of this woman who's let us, you know, she's been controversial, obviously, but she's also done some pretty incredible things. And she's been around, uh, and not only is she a woman in her 80s, leading so well, in my perspective, um, through so many difficult things and paying such a price. We've already mentioned her husband being attacked here in San Francisco in his own home. And I can only imagine the guilt that that was meant for her. And it was, you know, toward him walking through all that um, with such strength and dignity. And, um, you know, it just the, the speech yesterday, she, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but I highly recommend anyone to watch it because I don't get really sappy as an American because I grew up overseas. I didn't grow up with a lot of the, like the, you know, nationalism around it. But I would just say her story of being a child and seeing the Capitol building for the first time and just what that meant. And then now she's a woman in her eighties and having led, she mentioned how uh, in 1987, there were 12 Democratic women, and um, now there's 90. And that's a significant change. And she looked around the room and said, you know, this didn't really reflect Americans when I first came in. And it, you know, it still fully doesn't. But, you know, you just see much more diversity in the House of Representatives right now and our, you know, the Congress as a whole. And so, yeah, I think it was just a really important moment to honor her and what she's done, the price that she's had to pay that no one should have to pay. Um, and it's, it's sad for her to step down, but you know, I guess this replacement situation is giving hope for the new generation. You know, she is, like I said, a woman in her eighties, um, but it is time for the next generation to sort of take over. And so a lot of good things I'm reading about Hakeem Jeffries and his opportunity that lies there. And I'm excited to see what that could be. I would say I'm still disappointed like I said, as a woman, that we didn't pass the ERA under her. You know, it's been 50 years. This is something that Abigail Adams told her husband, John, remember the ladies <laughs> in the Constitution. And I don't know if he just did it or he was one of those, like you mentioned, Corey, cowards that didn't say what he should have said. And who knows what went on in that room. But we did not get enshrined in the Constitution. And it's 20 freaking 22 and women still don't have equal rights. But I um I do hope and I'm a part of this board justice revival and we are hoping to get people of faith around the ERA so hashtag faith for ERA or visit justicerevival.org and check out what we're trying to do in the next month and a half and definitely in the next six months to try to get the White House there's options out there, it could be Congress, it could be the White House. We need equal rights for women in our Constitution, and I really hope that even if Nancy Pelosi couldn't see it get done. Whoever takes the mantle after her will help us get there. What's that uh, hashtag again, Lori? Hashtag faith for number four, E-R-A. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, thanks. Justicerevival.org. Yeah, I just thought it was like, I mean, like I I, I share your sentiment about Pelosi. Um, I, I wish we had a Pelosi in the Senate side of the house. Yeah. Um, and And I just thought it was like, 
she was a total boss during the January 6th things. Like when they're showing the footage and she's just like, she's making calls, she's doing things, you know, she's swinging <laughs> hammers. Ripping the thing know, with like, her teeth, like, you know? And- <laughs> you know, you know, and, and and it's just like, she's like, yeah, I just got the phone with Mike Pence. And then Schumer's like, I talked to Kamala Harris. You know? <laughs> like, come on, Schumer, <laughs> get your act together. It's right. kind of like, like that scene in Airplane where they're like, you know, grabbing the people and they're smacking them and there's like a whole line, <laughs> right. you know? Like, I'm just thinking like, like Pelosi was just, I mean, she was in beast mode. I mean, she was basically right. taking charge and mm-hmm. it was just awesome to see that. And, you know, I mean, you know, ha- God forbid we ever, you know, have to deal with another assault on the Capitol. Um, but if we did, I'd like to have somebody like Pelosi there um, to sort of, you know, take the reins and and get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of whether you agreed with all of her policies or not, uh, no one who's a student of the House uh, and Congress uh, more generally can argue with the fact that she has been one of the most effective leaders in the history of that chamber. And um, a lot of respect there, two-time uh, speaker and her resilience, uh, you know, life and and politically. So uh, a lot of, lot of respect there. So, and it, well, and, and I'll say one more thing. And in fairness, like I would probably say the same thing about Mitch McConnell. I mean, I can't stand the guy. 15 I years. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. look happy. <laughs> I mean, but, but that, that dude gets stuff done for the Republicans. <laughs> like, he does. I mean, even if it's stuff I hate, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, him holding that Obama nomination, like i mean it still irks me but like mm. you 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 have to you have to respect the game you know yeah. <laughs> and and just the i don't know what you call it the the cojones or whatever you know of the guy willing to make that sort of um gamble and it paying off and now they've got like you know 63 uh, majority so yeah so you already alluded to this will but in terms of what will be happening in the house any thoughts on uh, reps Jor- representatives jordan and comer's announcement they'll basically be doing hunters laptop palooza all day every day for the next couple of years <laughs> yeah you know it, it's it's one of i mean like here's where i stand on hunter if he's done some shady stuff sure let's investigate it you know like i mean i'm i voted for biden i'm not necessarily on the biden train but right. he's a democrat and i don't think he's destroying the country as much as you know they may be saying he is but if his son did some shady stuff yeah we should investigate it because i'm all for like getting rid of corruption it's like it's like the whole trading stock act um that abigail spanberger has been pushing uh for congress members to not be trading stocks so so i think i i think if they you know kind of like i like i said at the top you know do like a benghazi 2.0 i really think that will work in the democrats favor in 2024 um because people are going to be like you know, like the, the the only investigation I've heard announced so far that I that I have somewhat of an interest in is Rand Paul's investigation on COVID. I mean, you know, like he he likes to battle, you know, Fauci and whatnot. And I'm just like, I it doesn't really bother me one way or another. But um, but I do think that's a legitimate investigation that needs to happen. And I think yeah. that's something that most Americans would probably support, you yeah. know, assuming it doesn't get too, you know, crazy and you know, the uh the eye doctor thinks he's smarter than than Fauci. So, <laughs> well, what do you think, Laura? Do, do you have any uh, any thoughts about uh, Hunter's laptop or or any of the various and sundry investigations they're going to be doing? Yeah, I'm I'm one of those. The truth sets us free, and if we do it in a way that our judicial system 
allows us to do it well. And I do think our judicial judicial system overall is good. There are flaws. There are many flaws. Like you talk to any sexual assault victim in the United States that survived that and our process is not great for them to have to be the one with the burden of proof on them when they were the one assaulted. However, in cases like this, um, I think generally speaking, we do a pretty decent job, assuming we don't get too much into like, like I said, we have a level of corruption in our government. Are we on the level of Indonesia? No, but we're not probably as clean as like Singapore. <laughs> I've lived in both of those countries. So, but I do think the truth sets us free. So in the, uh, you know, I guess Americans will want to know the truth and we deserve to know the truth because we're a democracy. And um, it's kind of what we're founded on is that. And so every person who wants to vote should know, is there something there? Now, these fake things like in the news that often get thrown out there, if we're trying to investigate something that's clearly not an issue, like Hillary Clinton and pizza parlors or whatever, Pizzagate, like, please no. But this, <laughs> I think, deserves <laughs> an investigation. We want to know the truth and it'll it's like you open the windows of the house, let the sunshine in, it will bleach the, you know, fungus or whatever is there, like clean it out. We want to know, we want a clean house, especially if somebody's going to be in the white house, that needs to yeah. be very, I heard, very I heard sunlight actually is a good disinfectant for COVID. So yes, uh, I'm, I'm with right. you Clorox. That's, Clorox. That's a good, yeah. Yes. yeah. Inject it. Yes. Right. Please inject it. <laughs> yeah. That's so, I'm surprised to hear your openness to these investigations I, I meet it with a more of an eye roll, <laughs> Okay, but I know it's going to happen. So I, we just have to get used to it. I think that you're correct, Will, in your uh, projection that this is going to work more against the Republicans in, in the big picture uh, if they uh, do it in excess, which they inevitably will. Uh, but I am more interested sociologically in the effect of all of these investigations. So my first thought was like, Oh, so now we're concerned about self-dealing and the president's families. <laughs> like, oh, we're yeah. concerned about that now? Oh, okay. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just sociologically, <laughs> some of my friends who are like hardcore uh Trump fans or or anti-Democrats or anti anti-Trump, you know, like whatever. Um, I, I'm I'm curious to see how they kind of turn on their heels now all of a sudden they really want to know well is the president's family corrupt and you know i just i i'm curious about it but more specifically it doesn't matter because th those guys are going to vote for whoever they'd vote for satan if if uh, satan had a republican uh <laughs> moniker um what, what i am curious about i always the way i've been putting it recently is my bible study my my sunday school class at grace baptist church um is it, there were anywhere from 20 to 30 people there on any given, uh, we went on Saturday nights when we were going to that class, 20 to 30 people there. So let's say there's 30 people there, just for argument's sake, 28 people ain't changing their votes, but there's one or two people who are really paying attention. Yeah. I want to know, are those folks persuaded? Is the discovery of Hunter doing coke with whoever uh, did, that's discovered on his laptop, is that going to affect their vote how they vote in 2024 for California 27's House District. That's what I want to know. It may. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I would say that if the what one one of the other points I didn't I didn't make earlier was that their investigation into Hunter is going to not only help Democrats but it's also going to hurt Trump. Why, why do you say that? 
because anybody that's been following politics will look at this investigation and try to make these ties to Hunter and Biden and then, you know, realize that, hey, what about like Jared Kushner? What about yeah. Ivanka Trump? What about, yeah. you know, like like uh, all these self-dealing such as I mean, even there was like an article. That's on- what I was referring to before. Yeah. Like now now all of a sudden we're concerned about that stuff. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, like the, the, uh, I forget it was in Washington Post or, or or where I read it, but where there was like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of like foreign money that was being poured into the Trump Hotel in D.C. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. saw and, that. Yeah, and and it's just like okay, like okay, I, I'll I'll play this game because like right. like I I think it's like I'm with you, Lori. I'm like, hey, I'm all about transparency, you know. So hey, like once we're done to Hunter, like let's look at these guys over here, you know, because yeah. I think it's it's worth worth doing. And and what's what what what's frustrating to me is one, I mean, as a Democrat, like Democrats are really bad at politics, um, and they don't they won't necessarily, you know, carpe diem the way that I think they should. You know, so so mind you, if these Hunter Biden investigations are going on. Running parallel to that is also going to be the um, just announced special counsel investigation that Merrick Garland just announced um, with the the Trump investigation for January 6th and the um, confidential documents that he had at Mar-a-Lago. So now, albeit Congress and those members will probably be much more vocal um, and they're going to do everything they can to sort of like minimize the the damage because the special counsel is probably going to find some stuff and probably going to you know, put forth like their, you know, their recommendations for indictment and prosecution, what have you. And, you know, the, the, the play here would be, you know, which one is going to capture or garner the most attention for the voters, you know, something that's about like Hunter Biden that has no direct correlation or, you know, this, this guy who used to be the president that had all these classified documents at his place. Yeah. You know? Like uh, our documents. He took home our, he took work home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a guy that never reads, you know, like is, is all of a sudden owning all these thousands of pages of stuff that he's probably never going to read, you know? So um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I really feel good about 2024 um, because of all of that. But, you know, it's it's tapered because you never really know. I mean, anything could happen. So, yeah, since you brought it up, um, <laughs> we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss Donald F. Trump's excuse me, Donald J. Trump's. I call him Donald frickin Trump. So Donald <laughs> F. Trump's announcement that he'll be running for president for a third time. So first, any impressions of the speech itself or did any of us actually watch any of it? I watched it. I watched it on Rumble. <laughs> You did, but like Truth Circle Social, you did, so we don't have to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, what were what were your thoughts about the speech? Well, it's funny. It's like so. So uh, before I watched it on Rumble, I mean, again, like it's it's I I do have a Truth Social account. I I don't advise anybody to follow me because I I rarely ever post on there. But um, um, but I I use it. It's like my smut account for social media. And I follow all kinds of QAnon stuff. Oh, I follow, you know, the Dinesh D'Souza's, the um, Alexander. I can't remember the guy's name that did the Stop the Steal. Um, anyways, I follow all these crazy accounts to include wow. Trump. <laughs> um, and there is a lot of talk kind of within the the QAnon circles about, oh, this is it. He's going to announce, you know, like 
Clinton's at Guantanamo or he's or somebody posted um this is an account that Trump has retruthed before this person posted oh there's 17 flags behind the podium there wasn't there was like 18 or 20 or something but but 17 is like the 17 letter in the outfit is Q so yeah. so they're, so they're, they're like he's signaling something oh this is gonna be it you know like and uh and so so the hype leading up to it was almost as exciting as uh, his speech, which wasn't very exciting at all. It's only important to point out that it wasn't exciting because he himself has used that as a as a barometer for his popularity. But you know, I mean, his his daughter wasn't there. Don Jr. wasn't there. Um, I don't even I don't even know Melania was there. But but uh, <laughs> you know, like like so so to take that for what it's worth. Ivanka put out a statement during his like announcement that I'm not going to be involved in my father's presidential campaign. You know, like during the time he's given it. You know, wow. so talk about like oh god, you know, pain. But um, but yeah, but you know he. He he came out. He sort of like did you know a lot of the the top twenty hits you know that he normally does, you know so much so that like even the crazy stuff he said in it didn't even really resonate or make in the news. Like he said he wants to, you know, execute drug dealers. Um, basically, anybody that's prosecuted for drugs, like they should die. Like and like that didn't even make like breaking news on my phone. You know. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so I think that really says a lot. Um, and I think that sort of the low energy of his announcement is is going to be really, really indicative. And and there were people there that were trying to leave <laughs> and his security guard kept him from leaving, which is it's almost like it's an allegory for how welcome America to the was. hotel. Myra, <laughs> it was like, that's how I felt during the last yeah. four years. You know, I wanted to leave. Let me leave. <laughs> All of us are Mar-a-Lago now, you know, yeah. <laughs> So that was uh, sounds like it was a rather flaccid appearance uh, from Trump. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about the fact itself that it's disgraced ex-president is running yet again? Any thoughts about uh, about that? Oh, like I mean, if you want to make any projections or just any general observations, uh, what, any 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 general thoughts before we move on? Hopefully, we'll move on. <laughs> I think I think that. There will probably be a lot of Democrats voting in the Republican primary. Yeah, um, is is what I suspect. That's interesting. Well, especially if if Biden decides to run again, uh, mm-hmm. the field will be uh, fairly clear for him. So mm-hmm. Democrats and independents will be free to vote in the Republican um, primaries. Yeah, which I mean, like I'm not necessarily, you know, I I don't necessarily think Biden should run again. This is me personally, because I I think, you know, there's a lot of other contenders out there that I've heard, you know, um, the least of which is like my own senator, Tim Kaine, which I think he'd be a phenomenal president. I'm a Mayor Pete fan myself. Yeah, me me too. Me too. I mean, like, like, I'm sure Lori enjoy. He's a fellow polyglot, you know, Um, (laughs) you like that in the White House. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so you know, like I, I, I think from a strategic point of view, Biden should run. Although I really wish we had somebody different to vote for. So. Yeah. Any thoughts on the the announcement or the possibility of Trump running again, or looking looking ahead to the to the next presidential election? I feel like a lot of people have been expressing, "Oh, I'm so bored if it's Trump and Biden again," and it may have a low voter turnout. Maybe if that's the case, but oh, wouldn't it be nice to be excited? about someone, you know, like really excited, somebody with character, somebody who really is taking us to the next level. America needs to redeem itself. And I think Biden has to an extent, but he's, he's not extreme. 
And yeah. um, he's definitely ha taken us to new levels from what Trump had taken us into in terms of climate change. And for, you know, me as a mom and just caring for my planet and having, you know, my faith connections to, I think that's a responsibility that we have. Um, and my hope is somebody can get us excited about our planet and our country and being humans again, instead of these cartoon characters sometimes that we have to vote for. It's like, who are you? Are you a real person? Are you, do you care? Do you have feelings? Do you have passion about things that I care about? Because, you know, I think that the amygdala, if that is motivating us to vote, if fear is motivating us to vote, it wouldn't it be nice if we could be motivated by another part of that, those deep parts of ourselves that want to care for each other. I mean, this is my podcast. We're different and that's good. And celebrating those differences. One of the Nancy Pelosi's things that she mentioned in her speech was the e pluribus unum out of many one. Like that's who we are. I love that diversity. And I would love for somebody to be able to garner different types of voices around them and embody that. A polyglot would be wonderful because I think that does embody that type of person. I think white men are wonderful. I'm married to one, I'm raising two, <laughs> but it would be nice to have somebody who wasn't. Um, you know, a woman would be wonderful, person of color, both a Latina. I was excited to see Nevada um, elect La Senadora. That was a very close race, um, but Catherine Cortez Masto was able CCM. to pull off. Yeah, yeah. And I just have a lot of hope for the future and I would love to see us usher in and not be afraid that whoever gets put up in the Democratic seat against um, maybe a potential Donald Trump would have to be somebody more moderate. I'd like to see us get a little more excitement there to be excited about who we vote for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, I, I was sort of surprised at the pushback against Trump's announcement. I was sort of surprised that it was anticlimactic, even from among the throngs of his longtime fans. Um, I So there was uh, some some green shoots uh, in in um, the lack of excitement around the announcement, the lack of surprise around the announcement, the lack of enthusiasm around the announcement. So I just don't find it newsworthy whatsoever. What I will find newsworthy is when someone else in the Republican Party announces and who that will be. A lot of folks are talking about the governor of Florida, De DeSantis. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody uh, like that. Josh Hawley, for some reason, came to mind. I think it's someone who is trying to distinguish himself, someone who fancies himself to be a maverick, but at the same time, even Trumpier than Trump at times. And just right. Larry I, Hogan, Larry Hogan. Well, so I'm, there there are Republican possibilities that I would I would advocate for. I would love to see if a Larry Hogan ran. I would love to see if a Liz Cheney ran. I would love to see. Yeah, a lot of people want Liz Cheney. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK, I didn't mention this, but, you know, I have this. Um, it's like a one percent of one percent chance, but. Liz Cheney as House Speaker. That Ooh, yeah. No, they're not gonna do it. They really they're not want gonna do it. Hakeem Jeffries, and he's great. So <laughs> well, so so the, here here's the why it's still just it's not zero percent, it's one percent of one percent. Is that there is still a small contingency in the Republican Party that just will not vote for Kevin McCarthy, regardless, you know, they they just won't line up. Um, and there's various reasons for that. Some of them are, you know, I think MTG did did line up, but somebody like Matt Gates still isn't lining up. But there's still another small contingency from the Problem Solvers Caucus that I could see. <clears throat> I could see, so, you know, say a half a dozen uh, Republicans saying, yeah, you know, I will vote for a Republican. And the Republican is named Liz Cheney. 
The trick is to get all of the Democrats in the House to line up behind her. So like I said, it's not a 0% chance, but a 1% of a 1% chance. But that's one way. Can you imagine if Nancy Pelosi handed the gavel to Liz Cheney and then to watch Kevin Kevin McCarthy? I just, I want to, I just, oh, maybe. As long as they don't (laughs) like try to get Trump to be the speaker. I mean. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Because you don't have to be a member of Congress to be the speaker. Oh, I didn't realize that. If he really wanted to make news, his announcement last Tuesday would have been, I'm running for speaker, and I'm running for president, (laughs) and I'm running for secretary of state for all of the states all at the same time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, With the hands and the- It would be um, huge. Yeah. Mm. Huge, bigly. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, last question before we get to some business. The three of us also happen to be Christians. We've already talked a little bit about this. Have you been having any conversations in the church about the results of the election? And what's to come? What what kind of vibe are you getting for how folks in church are are responding to it? So I so I I mean I my co-host Pastor Josh I go to his church so it's like I mean like we and it's but it's a home church um, so River City Underground um, you know we meet in people's homes so it's a real like small community like type of people so and there's people that we agree on stuff and some things we don't uh, agree on but. We, you know, we, I, I don't think we've got any like extremists in our, in our church or anything like that. You know, we meet tomorrow. So I guess, I guess we'll know. Cause wait, the midterms are this week. Was it this week or last week? I can't remember what, what week I it remember is. 8th. But... It was 10 days ago. For... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so last, last Saturday, um, we didn't really talk too much about, about the, uh, about the election. Um, so I don't really have a whole lot to add there. <laughs> I'm in a house church too, a micro church. Um, I was a pastor in a mega church and that was not a good experience for that particular one. I'm not saying generally about that, but just that particular situation. But I, uh, my husband and I started a micro church with people from that mega church that had a lot of bad experiences oh, cool. and it's a beautiful community. Um, I did micro church in Indonesia under Islamic law because that was kind of our only option. I grew up in Venezuela in small micro churches as well. But I will say um, we did discuss the Georgia race (laughs) and we're in California. So I think we're mostly all on the same page. But I think, you know, several of us were, you know, concerned that this particular candidate was getting as many Georgians to vote for them as there were. And I think as people of faith, we found it particularly disturbing at the thought that somebody like that could be in the highest levels of our government having said some of the things he said and done some of the things that he's done. And I think how it also ties into Trump and how we experienced him. And yeah, a people of faith who understand, you know, Genesis and the way God created man and woman in God's own image and to treat image bearers as women, the way that he has treated them is highly concerning. We're talking half of our nation, half of our world. How is he going to treat them? And potentially not just other women, but if that's his posture toward image bearers at all, maybe toward men, like how is he going to treat and how is he going to vote for policies that that really concerned us in terms of, um, you know, how you treat people in your personal life has to reflect how you're going to vote and how you're going to power play politics is dirty and we want it to be cleaner. And this doesn't seem like the right direction as people of faith. You know, it's really funny because like, you know, how how is it Hersha Walker's garnering the evangelical vote when there's a pastor running? Like, yeah. I mean, like, like we, 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 we haven't really discussed this and I don't want to take us down this rabbit hole, but like, you know, it all ties into this sort of like Christian nationalism 
thing like where people are worshiping the party versus worshiping God, you know, and, and it's, it's really, really, I don't know. It's really disconcerting for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a lot in the Bible about that. <laughs> I'm reading Jeremiah right now and there's some crazy stuff that gets said. And I just preached in Oakland on Sunday about uh, Amos five, you know, let justice roll down like a river. I was asked to speak on social justice, that passage in particular, and about women and social justice. And God says some pretty strong things. Like, I don't want to hear your songs, your worship songs. Don't don't bring your offerings because you are not caring for, you're oppressing people and I don't want anything to do with you. And that's some scary stuff. So yeah, I think when our churches are blaring these loud worship songs and fog machines and, you know, beautiful lyrics and amazing sounds if and passing offering plates, if God is turning away from that, because we don't care about the widows and the orphans, the single moms, the immigrants bringing their babies. I mean, if we're not, if we don't care about the moms, we're now asking to have children that were assaulted, 10 year old girls who have been assaulted that we're saying need to continue to have this child in her body when she is at risk to give birth at that age. Um, wow, I, I just think that God has some serious stuff to say about it and it makes me shudder um, to look at Georgia in light of that. You know, it's, it, um... We, we spoke of this guy, um, Andrew Gagne, um, who's sort of like this expert on new apostolic reformation and, and, um, um, Christian nationalism. And, you know, one of the questions I asked him was, was about like, why are all these Christians flocking to, to Trump? And, you know, his explanation was, you know, a lot of it has to do with like prof, uh, prophecy, um, specifically like taught by folks like Lance Wall now and, and others. And, you know, he said, yeah, I, uh, the, the way it's told is that Lance Wall now was reading his Bible, got to Isaiah 45, something about Cyrus and connected the dots for Isaiah 45, 45, 45th president, you know, you know, like, and, and, and made sort of this, this connection between Trump as sort of the new modern day Cyrus. And, and, uh, we, we were just like, Whoa, that's crazy. So it was just like a couple of days ago, I, I, I texted, um, uh, Pastor Does Josh. that writer, by the way, know that Isaiah, whoever it was that was writing <laughs> down that scroll, didn't write uh, chapter 45? Like 45 didn't <laughs> yes. have anything to do with it. And that America <laughs> was nowhere in his brain. <laughs> well, it, it was funny. So so I, I, I texted Pastor Josh a couple of days ago and I was like, hey, you should read Isaiah 47 because <laughs> like if you're going to stick with this sort of like, you know, this train of thought, like yeah. Isaiah 47 doesn't say a whole lot of great things about like um you know the next president if it's trump <laughs> so he read he's like dude yeah <laughs> he's like, this is amazing it so. is amazing the um if, if i only remember one thing in these conversations especially when we start to get getting to scripture the only thing i want to remember is yeah that's interesting let's keep reading <laughs> yeah. You know, it's amazing. So when somebody's trying to make some like this point, this really profound point, they think is really, really profound. You know, that's that's interesting. I, I want to consider that. Let's keep reading because mm -hmm. if we keep reading, the truth will set you free. And it's this everywhere, stuff is, you know, it's just it's crazy. Um, so I want to allow that to sit and and let that be the last word. Uh, really robust conversation, I, and I just enjoy hanging out with both of you. So before we go, tell us how we can find each of you, Lori, a world of difference, and will faithful politics and all the great work you're both doing. Lori, you first. Thank you. Well, this has just been an honor. I loved this conversation with the two of you, Corey and Will. This has been a lot of fun for me. You can find me at a World of Difference podcast 
I'm on Twitter for now. Let's see. I'm not leaving, but who knows what will happen. I'm at Lori ADBR on Twitter. And then A-W-O-D-P-O-D is the podcast on Twitter. I'm on Instagram and Facebook with both Lori Adams Brown and Oral The Difference on both of those. Um, and you can find me at lauriadamsbrown.com. I'd love for you to listen and engage. We're all about being different and making a difference together. Awesome. Awesome. Well, where can we find you? Yeah. So um, kind of to Lori's point, if Twitter goes down, you can find me on Craigslist. Um, <laughs> and if I have if, a listing in the yellow pages, you can find me. In the- <laughs> as long as you're not a murderer. <laughs> yeah, so just, just wait until that big old book comes around and you can look me up. Uh, no, um, our, our website is just faithful politics podcast. Um, yeah. You can find me on Twitter, uh, faithful politic with a K at the end. And uh, we also have a, uh, Facebook group um, that we like to announce who our guests are and give our listeners a chance to ask questions. Um, um, so like if we have, you know, somebody that is an expert in this, um, then we we like to just engage with our audience. And then we also like to get recommendations and suggestions. So uh, we have a YouTube channel as well. Um, you can find us there and yeah, help us out. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put a bunch of links in the show notes so you can find Lori Adams Brown. We'll write my pals. Uh, And uh, yeah, as always, if you dig what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button, leave a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about Talk Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. We're easier to recommend than ever. It's www.politicsandreligion.us. And remember that dub, 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 www.politicsandreligion.us. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you dig what we're doing here, it is super easy to follow us. You can go to our site, politicsandreligion.us. That's with the and spelled out, A-N-D, politicsandreligion.us. And we're on all the socials at TP and R pod, you know, TP and R pod for talking politics and religion pod. And here's a big way you can support us by becoming one of our patrons. You can even become a producer or executive producer of our program and have a lot more say in who we bring on, the kinds of questions we explore, or just help us keep the lights on. But mostly we really appreciate you giving us a listen. So for the whole team here at talking politics and religion without killing each other, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam.